welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, June 11th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, a message titled, The Power of Oneness. in the message, but in just a moment, uh, I'll begin reading in verse 30. The longest married couple in U.S. history was Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher from North Carolina. They were married for 86 years and 290 days. Can you imagine that? Almost 90 years. Their marriage held up through the Great Depression, the Second World War, Korean War, Vietnam War, and 15 presidential administrations. Zelmyra died at 105, and uh, she was asked what was the secret to their marriage. And at 103, she gave this answer, okay? She said, there were no secrets. There isn't any secret. It was only God who kept us together. And so they not only had longevity, but they had harmony. Now, God doesn't always bless every relationship with many, many years. But he does always desire to bless every relationship with harmony, to put more uh, life into those years. And this is what the Bible speaks of when it talks about oneness. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this oneness. Oneness is harmony in our relationships. The Bible speaks about the harmony that we can have with heaven, with the Lord, and then through that power we can have harmony in all the other relationships that we have. In this text we're going to talk about uh, husband and wives. Uh, We're going to talk about the church. But all of this even applies to uh, family relationships, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers. Every relationship that we have, God wants to bless it with harmony. And there's a power in this oneness that he brings into our relationships. Hear what God has to say in verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh. And of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We're in a series on the family. Today we're talking about relationships. We're talking about how we can have healthy and harmonious relationships. Now, relationships are a challenge. And in every life, uh, there are uh, its own set of challenges in every 
relationships. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, well, my relationships have been far from perfect. The one I'm in now is far from perfect. Well, that's exactly who the Bible is speaking to. Uh, none of us have perfect relationships. But God so works in our life through his power and his grace to bring us to oneness. And in every relationship that we are blessed to have, God is going to be bringing us to this oneness. This is what the text shows us. See, the, the Bible here speaks about the oneness that we can have with the Lord himself in our personal relationship with him. And then through that, we can have oneness experience in our church. Verse 32 speaks of the church and really every relationship out there in the world that's blessed by God is simply a picture of this grand, great relationship that the Lord has with his people through the church. And so we should experience oneness in our church and our church relationships. And then beyond that, in our homes, we'd experience oneness. This is the Lord's plan for our, our lives. And this statement of truth, two shall become one, I believe is the axis around which this scripture turns. This is the core of what the Lord is speaking to us uh, here about in our relationships. And out of this one phrase, the two shall become one, there are actually three key truths uh, about happy and healthy relationships that I want to share with you this morning. And the first one is uh, tied to the last word in the phrase. Two shall become one. That means oneness. One speaks of oneness. And this speaks of the perfect destination that God has in mind for all of our relationships. That's key truth number one. God has in mind a perfect destination for every one of our relationships. Again, our, none of our relationships are perfect today, but one day they will be. If they are surrendered to the Lord, if the Lord is allowed to work in our life by His grace, this is where He's taking us. The two shall become one. In heaven... God knows oneness with himself in the Trinity, and he knows oneness with all of his people that have been gathered there, and he will know that oneness with all who eventually are gathered there, his church. And, and these verses speak about that. So this is his, personal, his perfect destination for all of us. As he wants to so work in our lives so that we experience oneness in our homes, in our church, and eventually in heaven in, in his presence. And it's a perfect destination. We're not perfect yet, but God's going to get us there. And that gives us hope that any and every relationship can become strong. And it eventually, by God's grace, will be perfected. Now think about the oneness that God has in heaven. The Bible says that he is one with the Holy Spirit and with the Son. In the Old Testament, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament was Deuteronomy chapter 6.4. It was the verse that every Jewish person memorized and knew. And the words of that verse are, are here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that speaks of the Lord's oneness that for all of eternity that he, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, but all in one substance, one person, all dwelled in harmony 
forever. Perfect harmony for all of eternity. That's who he is. And who he is is who he calls us to be. He is directing us and leading us and empowering us to know his oneness. It begins with knowing him, and then it works out into all of our relationships. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. And that's why later he could say that he, that he who has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. So they were one. They are one. And that is the perfect oneness that he's trying to work into every one of our relationships. Verses 30 and 32 of our text speaks about how Christ now is one with his church. And if you're saved, if you are a member of one of his churches, then you are part of his body. And you are one with him through his power and his grace. He now has joined his life with you as you have repented of your sin, placed your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. Something heavenly happened. Something spiritually happened beyond all our power. It's all by the grace of God. We have been made one now with him. And we live in him. And he now lives through us, through the, through the Holy Spirit. God literally is inside of us. And that's the oneness that we experience as his church, as his family of believers. And it is this oneness that marriage and home uh, pictures. These verses show us that uh, the great mystery means that there's a picture behind the picture, that the home pictures the oneness that is between Christ and his church. And so if you're married, your marriage is to picture the oneness that Christ has with his church. It pictures that perfect destination that we're all going to experience one day. And you say, well, my marriage is a long way from that. Well, we're all in the same boat. None of us are perfect. But the two shall become one. God's working. God's working in our, all of our relationships to bring us to that perfect destination. When we understand this first, this is where we're going. This is who God is. This is how he exists. This is how he does relationship. And this is how he's going to be leading us in our homes and in our church and in our personal relationships. The second key truth is tied to the first word of two shall become one. And that is the word two tells us that there will be providential differences in every relationship. There's two and they're different. There are providential differences in every relationship. Someone has said, marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too warm beside someone who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. Can I get a witness to that? We're different. And everyone that seeks to have a relationship will find it a challenge because there will be differences. I looked up some of the differences that there are, that scientists tell us there are between men and women. A lot of people today don't understand this common sense fact. There are differences between men and women, boys and girls. But in case you're a little bit cloudy about that, let me remind you about some of the points. Number one, men typically, I read, have thicker skin by about 
Isn't that interesting? That explains some things. <laughs> that men typically have thicker skin than women. Men also have more muscle mass. They're faster and more powerful. But the woman's muscles are more readily able to resist fatigue and recover faster. That explains some things too. Also, scientists tell us that men and women's brains are different. Now please withhold, <laughs> please hold off on the sarcastic thoughts and jokes for a moment, okay? But, but literally, men and women's brains are different. How are they different? They are different how they process information. Men have more information containing gray matter, and women have more white matter, which has more connectivity components. That explains a whole lot right there. And so, ladies, you, you are made physically to connect better than, than we are as men. God's made you that way. He made you different. Not better, but he made you different. We all have our differences. I also found some other uh, differences that were kind of more humorous. Someone's pointed out how men and women are different when dealing with names. They say if Laurie, Linda, and Elizabeth, and Barbara go out for lunch, they will call each other Laura, Laurie, Linda, Elizabeth, and Barbara. If Mark, Eric, and Tom go out, they will affectionately refer to each other as Fat Boy, Godzilla, and Peanut Head. <laughs> Men and women are different about money. A man will pay $2 for a $1 item he needs. A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item that she doesn't need, <laughs> simply because it was on sale. There are differences. The differences with bathrooms. A man has five items in his bathroom. He has a toothbrush, shaving cream, a razor, a bar of soap, and a towel that he's been using since last Tuesday. <laughs> the average number of items in the typical woman's bathroom is 337. A man would not be able to identify most of these items. There's differences. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. And they look at the future different. A woman worries about the future until she gets a husband. A man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. There are differences between us. Now here's the point. God's made it that way. These are providential. This didn't just happen. But God has made it so two become one. And sometimes it's two that are very, very different okay so here's the application the application is if you're in a relationship or you have been in a relationship and you struggle because of the differences that did not does not mean and did not mean that you picked the wrong one okay, a lot of people today they're coming to a relationship some people have been married for many many years and they finally get to the point they say I'm just not compatible all these differences I picked the wrong one no that's not true the differences are built in, and God designs it that way so that we can become one. If we're both the same, one will be unnecessary. And so never think that you've made a mistake if somehow your relationship 
begins to to falter and struggle and hit the rocks and you wonder that I made a mistake no you did not make a mistake you're just dealing with the differences they can only be overcome by God's grace and so the differences do not mean that you might have picked the wrong person or ended up with the wrong person you can have a good relationship with someone who is completely different than you I and Lori are an example of this. We're about as different in how you do and think about things as any two people can be. And this past week, we celebrated 34 years of uh, marriage, and we got away for a few days, and we didn't have one fight, not one argument. Everything was great. I think we're good. I'm checking. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> We married my senior year of, of college. I was just about finished, had a few credits left, uh, but I was still finishing up. And I remember one of my last classes I took was a family counseling class uh, taught by Brother Hoffman at Central Baptist College. And he had a survey that he sent home with us. He said, I want you to take this, I want you to fill it out first, and I want you to take it to your wife. I want you to fill it out. It's a class project. I want you to understand this tool, but I want you to do it yourself. Bring it back, and I'll, I'll grade it, and I'll look at it and give you the results. And I remember I took that survey home, and I showed it to Lori, and uh, she said, does he really want me to answer these questions? And I said, yeah. He said, just be honest. And so she was, and I turned it in, and we both turned in our surveys, and I, I still remember sitting down in his office as he was going over the results with me. And he looked at me and he said, you two are about as different as two people can be. <laughs> and then, very seriously, he said, I just want you to know, if you ever need me in the future, <laughs> feel free to contact me anytime. <laughs> and he was serious. He thought we were going to need marriage counseling. <laughs> But we, we're happy together. It's aggravating that she doesn't think like I do sometimes, and I've, I am aggravating to her sometimes because we don't, I don't do it like she wants to do it because we're different, and God's made it that way. And God brought us together providentially so that he can make two one. Here's something else that the differences do not mean. It does not mean that your perfect mate has to be someone just like you. I hear people today looking for relationships and, and they're looking for this person, that person, and, and they're, they're rejecting certain people just because they're not like them. And they're looking for the perfect mate. Can I give you a word of advice? There is no perfect mate. There was only one perfect mate in the beginning. That was Adam's wife, Eve, when she was created, perfect. But even they found a way to mess it up and to get into uh, a bad relationship, a difficult relationship. So don't look, if you're looking or you're dealing with a relationship, don't expect the other person to have to be just like you. That's not the requirement. Just the opposite. God is going to be taking those differences and using them 
to knock the rough edges off of your life so that you will die to yourself, accept the differences that God has put in someone else's life so that then you can totally and unconditionally give yourself to, to that person. He's, he made them two so that he made them two different people so he can make them one. That's how he's working. And, and this is the power of oneness. It's how we're able to, to come into a relationship like this and see God transform both of us. It takes transformation on both sides of the two for there to be oneness. And that leads us to the third key truth, and this is so important. And this, the text shares with us two powerful tools for oneness. And, and the truth is that the two shall become. There's a process. It's a process that God leads us all through in our relationships, whether we're talking about family relationship or a church relationship or a relationship with Him. He is working a process to mature us and get us to where we need to be. And the two powerful tools for oneness in the text are love and respect. Love is the primary need for the female and respect is the primary need for the male. And when they come from their different perspectives, pink and blue, then they will need different things. And so if you're in a relationship and the woman needs love and she's fighting for that and she's asking for that, looking for that, but the man's not giving that, it becomes a tug of war. And if the man's in a relationship and he's needing words of affirmation and honor and respect and the woman's not giving that and he's fighting for that, it just ends up being a tug of war that ends up in a relationship that knows nothing but struggle. But if on the other hand, each party will die to themselves and see the other person's need as primary and then they seek to meet the other person's greatest need by showing love, by giving respect, then there's this oneness, this dynamic that is powerful. This is why the Lord speaks to husbands and wives here in this chapter about love and respect. The wife, the female, is called upon to respect, to show honor to the man. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The Lord is calling the females to offer a whole lot of respect to the man or to their husband. And that's because that's his primary need. A man needs honor and affirmation and respect more than he needs anything else. And the Bible's pointing us to that fact here. The woman, on the other hand, she needs more than anything else love and affection. That's why the man then, secondly, is called to, to love his wife. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he should that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So 
Ladies and gentlemen, we need to employ the powerful tools of love and respect if you want to have a strong and healthy relationship. Now, this applies for any relationship, relationships in the, in the church as we deal with males and females, relationships within the home as we deal with brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, not just husbands and wives, relationships out in the world with our friendships at work as we deal with people that are different than us. Our primary needs are the powerful tools that God uses to bring us together. And we have to understand this. I have a book. It's called Love and Respect. It's written by a man named Emerson Egerich. He's a pastor that really speaks well and writes well on this topic. And I give that book out to every couple that I counsel before marriage. I'd recommend it to you if you've never read it. It's called Love and Respect. And in the book, he talks about how giving love and showing respect and the power that they create uh, is like the air that marriages and homes thrive in. And if you're withholding that, then it's like you're standing on someone's air hose and they can't breathe, they can't function. And that's the way many relationships uh, are carried out nowadays is that everybody's fighting for what they want and, and, they, and they're starving because they can't get what they need because they're too busy fighting for what the other person's not giving them. But if we will just die to ourselves and see the other person's need as primary and try to meet that, then we'll see that we'll both have our needs met. And there's a powerful oneness that comes out of that. I find it interesting as I read more about Herbert and Zellmeyer. They said the, the best piece of marriage advice given to them was this. Respect. To show respect, support, and communicate with each other. Be faithful, honest, and true. Love each other with all of your heart. You notice the two things they included in that? Love and respect. They're powerful. Now, let me give you some practical ways to show love and respect in your relationship, and then you'll have the message uh, this morning. First, um, how can the man show love, unconditional love and affection, for the woman. Well, by holding her close. C-L-O-S-E stands for five things that are good things to do if you want to show love and affection in your relationship. Let me give those to you real quick. C stands for cherish. And cherish comes right out of verse 29. That the man cherishes the woman. Literally, this word means to hold close to have physical close contact. Psychologists tell us that women typically need 10 hugs a day. Now, I don't think any man here is up to 10 hugs a day. I know I'm not. <laughs> but men, we need to try to get as close as we can. Women need physical touch. They need a hug. And so close stands for cherish them, hug them. 10 hugs, or at least as many as you can, Every day. L is listen. You show love to your wife, to the female in your life, by letting her talk. This nourishes her. Verse 29 also uses the word nourish. And women are nourished by being able to share and talk, to verbally share their heart 
and to have someone who received that listen to that. Those who keep up with the stats say that women, on the average, speak about 20,000 words a day. That may be a low estimate for some. <laughs> Men, on the other hand, speak an average of 7,000 words a day. That may be a high estimate for some. So we're different. And men, we don't want to sit down and just talk all the time and listen. That's not what we want to do. We don't come home just thinking, well, I finally get to talk to my wife. <laughs> That's not what's foremost in our thought process. But men, we need to die to ourselves. And we need to do it because that what she, that's what she needs most. And that shows love to her. That says to her, I'm wanting to nourish you as Christ nourishes his bride. So C is cherish, L is listen, O is open up and talk to her. This is more nourishing. When, when you let her talk and share her heart, at some points, when you have time, you need to say, well, will you just listen to something I need to share with you? And once you pick her up off the floor, you need to tell her everything that's in your heart and on your mind. That nourishes her. That makes her feel like there's really a bond there. She feels loved. S is say a prayer for her. This is taking the spiritual lead. These verses say that the man is to be the spiritual leader of the home, not because he's so special, not because he's got it all together and he knows how to lead better. It's because Christ is the head of the church. That's why. Because we're modeling him. And someone has to lead. And God has picked the man. And ladies have been picked for something special. We'll see that in just a moment. But guys, it's our job to lead. This doesn't mean that we dictate, become a dictator of the home, we get our way about everything. No, it means that we sacrificially serve and even give up our own life if that's called for, just like Christ gave up his life for the church. And so we gather her to our side on a regular basis and we say, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? And then we actually pray and we take the spiritual lead. E is encourage her. Build her up. Make her feel like a queen like Jesus does the church. So that's C-L-O-S-E. That's how, men, you can hold your wife close. Or you can show love and affection to the female that's in your life. Now, ladies, your turn. You are to show respect to the man in your life. And you do this by... Helps, H-E-L-P-S. H stands for honor and affirm him verbally. Admire his leadership. Follow and support his leadership in life. And you do that and you strengthen him in doing that by how you talk about him. Ladies, you may not be aware of this. This is something that, um, you know, really in our marriage, it didn't really become clear until we read that book, Love and Respect, and then we compared it to Scripture, and we see it's right here. What the man needs is not the woman saying, I love you, I love you, I love you all the time. That's what the woman needs. She needs to hear that. What the man needs to hear is, I admire you. I think what you did was great. I can't believe how well you handled that. You honor and affirm him verbally. Ladies, I'm just telling you from personal experience, if you will do this, the man in your life will jump through fire hoops 
to serve you and to lead you and to do things for you. He will lay his life down on the line because you're tapping into his primary need. He needs to know that who he is and what he's doing makes a significant difference. And if you're always criticizing and nagging and arguing and pushing back, it sends a loud message to him that you don't know, buddy, what you're doing. And I'm not sure I want to follow you. And that pulls him down. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. But you don't need to nag him about it. You need to go to the Lord and pray about it. Because he's the only one that can change a person. So ladies, this is very, very important. H stands for honor and affirming verbally. E, enjoy his favorite activity with him. This meets his need for companionship. It tells him, if you'll join him on the golf course, or out in the hunting woods, or at the baseball stadium, it tells him, hey, what you think is important is important to me. And when I married my wife, she said I'll watch any sport but baseball. And I just took a long, deep breath because baseball is what I love to watch and play more than anything else. But over the years, she has gotten involved with what I like to do. And one of the things we did this past week as we celebrated our anniversary is we went and watched the Texas Rangers lose one, one rare game in their historic season. The one time I show up, they can't put a run on the, on the board. And so does she really want to go to that baseball game? Maybe, maybe not. But over the years, she has joined me in that favorite activity, and that has meant so much to me. L is let him have time with the guys. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Ladies, if you let him go and have time with the guys, he'll come back a better man because iron sharpens iron. Let him have time with the guys. P is pamper him, treat him like a king. He treats you like a queen. You need to treat him like a king. Now, I'll just say this. There's a fine line between mothering and pampering. He does not want to be mothered, but pampering every once in a while is pretty good. So pamper him. Make his favorite meal. Let him do what he would like to do every once in a while. And then S finally is say a prayer for him. Show support for his leadership. And while we'd never say it, we'd never admit it, there are times when we are scared to death to be the man of the house. We don't know what we're to do. We don't know how to do it. We're dealing with our own weaknesses, dealing with our own sin. And sometimes we feel very inadequate for this great responsibility God's given us. And for others in the family to show support and say, I'm praying for you. I'm on your team. That just speaks loud and clear. Hey, I respect you. I affirm you. I honor you in life. And that's what the man needs. When we show love and we give respect... And by the way, both of it is unconditional. Ladies, you want the I love yous no matter if you deserve it or not. And the man needs the I admire you no matter if he deserves it or not. It's all by God's grace. When we give it unconditionally, there's a power that's released in our relationship that comes from heaven. And nothing else is like it. It leads us through all the ups and downs. It will bring harmony and health into our relationship, and no matter how many years God gives, 
There, there is blessing in that. This is the kind of relationship that God wants his people to experience. The Bible says that it is not good that man should be alone. And what that means is that God has created all of us for relationship. He's created us to have relationships with one another. And ultimately, he's created us to have a relationship with him in heaven forever. And here's how much Jesus wants you to have that relationship. He died and gave up. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.